welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. If you need a Bible, please grab one uh, right back here. Actually, Pete, can you turn up the house lights for me? Um, uh, Bible's there. I think we've got some knitting projects over here if you're into knitting. Um, Okay, so again, my name is Micah, and we are in week uh, four or five, I think five, of a series called uh, on Esther called All of the Above. And this series, this book, uh, has been uh, a lot of fun for me. I, I always enjoy getting into these things. I anticipate what they might be like, and then when we're in it, it's like, yeah, this is good stuff. Uh, challenging for sure. I, I trust that it has been both of those for you as well. But the book of Esther, as the title uh, shows, uh, All of the Above, is really about all kinds of things. It's about uh, loyalty and family and nationality and covenant relationships with God. It's about um, betrayal and espionage, courage and bravery. Uh, it's even got a little love and sex and relationships. Uh, it's about drinking and moderation. And one of my uh, favorite theologians, Bonhoeffer, calls them ethical borderlands, where it's not always as clear as you would hope as far as what would be the right or wrong decision in this moment. Actually, my friend Stu is going to talk about that next week. But today, it's about a moment. It's about a moment in time that exists at once in the space-time continuum, you know, people, events, minutes, seconds, hours, days, years. It's about that, but it's about something that exists outside of that as well. So let me read a, uh, an abridged version of chapter 4, and you can follow along if you want in your, in your text. It will be a little bit different. I'm skipping a few of the commentary pieces to really get the kind of core of this. So Esther chapter 4 says this, When Mordecai heard about the letter, he tore his clothes in sorrow and put on sackcloth. Then he covered his head with ashes, and he went through the city, crying and weeping. In every province where the king's orders were read, the Jews cried and mourned, and they went without eating. Esther had a servant named Hathak who had been given to her by the king, and so she called him in and said, Find out what's wrong with Mordecai and why he's acting this way. Mordecai gave Hathak a copy of the orders for the murder of the Jews and told him that these had been read in Susa. He said, Show this to Esther and explain to her what it means. Ask her to go to the king and beg him to have pity on her people, the Jews. Hathak went back to Esther and told her what Mordecai had said. She answered, Tell Mordecai. There is a law about going to see the king and his officials and his people. They all know about this law. Anyone who goes in to see the king without being invited will be put to death. And besides, it's been 30 days since he asked for me. That's a euphemism, by the way. I'll let you interpret that. When Mordecai was told what Esther had said, he sent back this reply. Don't think that you will escape being killed like the rest of the Jews just because you live in the king's palace. If you don't speak up now, we will somehow get help but you and your family will be killed. It could be that you were made a queen for such a time as this. Esther sent a message to Mordecai saying, bring together all the Jews in Susa and tell them to go without eating for my sake. Don't eat or drink for three days and nights. My servants and I will do the same and then I will go to see the king. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai did everything that Esther told him to do. Pray with me if you would. God, as we open your scriptures this morning, I ask that you would um, remove me and all of my inadequacies, God, and say something that your community, your church, your people need to hear. I pray that I would proclaim the gospel boldly, God, without apology, and that you would, by your spirit, um, say the things that need to be said this morning and touch the hearts that need to be touched. Do something that I can't, that we can't do, uh, but only you can do, God. We pray in your name. Amen. 
So uh, every good story, every good story has a focal point, has you know a crisis. If you talk to Jess, she will tell you the art of of writing a good story and how to develop characters and all that. And they always have a crisis, a moment in which everything hangs on. A good song has this, right? Oftentimes. Uh, uh, sometimes a, a bridge, after a couple of verses, a bridge will crescendo musically, and then it will resolve to this uh, down chorus, or the, the chords will resolve. Um, even a, a good movie has a moment, right, where everything's leading up to this moment, and everybody knows it, and everything hangs on it. And I think this chapter, this moment in Esther, and for Esther, if I could be so bold as to interpret, uh, is that kind of a moment where everything hangs on it. Uh, this is a chapter where, if you read the whole book, this is where the hero of the story emerges, where previously, uh, you know, in this kind of cocoon of fear and immaturity and, and question, and she comes out on the other side of this with courage and boldness and bravery. I think this is Esther's moment in, in a lot of ways. Now, there are so many different ways you could approach this. And, and if you go back, if you go on the internet, there are legion, uh, the, the sermons that on this particular text are many, right? Lots of pastors love this one. If I perish, I perish. Like this, this, this dog will hunt. This thing will preach, right? So, I mean, you go look for it. You'll find thousands of them and lots of different takes on it, you know, from different angles. And if you know anything about Awaken, we value creativity. We value artistry. We value a good story. And so I'm going to tackle this from a little different perspective, a little different angle, if I may, which shouldn't surprise some of you. But um, here's how I want to do this. Uh, I want to ask two questions this morning. And the first question was actually introduced to me by uh, some of you know that I had an opportunity to study with a rabbi, uh, I think three or four times now. And uh, my wife has now gotten to be a part of this. And it is just so rich, so wonderful, so amazing uh, for me personally and, and for you because you reap the benefits of what I learned when I go to see the rabbi. Uh, but this first question, was this idea was introduced to me when I studied with Rabbi Allen, and it's this idea of the sacred future. So what is the sacred future? Can you see it would be the first question. I recognize that's two, but I'm just putting it into one. So what is the sacred future, and can you see it? And the second question is this. What does Esther see between verses 11 and 15 that she didn't see before? Right? Because for the whole story coming up to it, Esther acts in a certain way. Her reactions are pretty predictable. Uh, how she's going to respond or you know, kind of fall in line. And then all of a sudden in, in verse 15 of chapter 4, something changes and her response is radically different than it was previously. What does Esther see that she didn't see before? So those are the two questions I want to start with. Um, or actually, I'm going to hang the whole thing on those two questions. So let's start with the sacred future. What is the sacred future and how and can you see it? Let me say this. We are never, uh, now stick with me here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a little, uh, woo, you know, philosophical. That's my philosophical, not Halloween uh, <laughs> magic spell on you. We never are where we have been, nor are we located where we're going. Right? We're never where we've been, nor are we located where we're going or what's coming, the future. We can only be fully present in the moment and remember the past or bear in mind what has happened in the past and anticipate or see the future, so to speak. So as we experience life, as we experience time, the only place we can actually be literally, is in the now, in this moment, right here, right now. Now, of course, many people live 
in the past. We've heard that phrase before, right? They, uh, they, they allow the past to define them. They kind of live in this glory of the past or this failure of, in the past, and so they, all of their energy and time is spent there. That's no way to live, right? We've heard this before. But the only place you really can live is in this moment right here and right now. But then there are these special moments, and I'm guessing that if we were to go around the room and ask, you might be able to offer one or two of them, these special kind of moments where it's as if all that we have been, all that we are up to this point, and a view of the future that maybe we haven't seen before or we, didn't, uh, we haven't anticipated in this way, kind of come together in a moment. And oftentimes when this happens, when we see something that maybe we didn't see in the future or God reveals something to us that we didn't see before, it almost reinterprets the past. Have you ever had an experience like that where you've had things happen in the past and things have, you know, whatever it was, situations have gone down the way they went down and you, you didn't have categories for it. You weren't sure how to, how to uh, understand it. And then all of a sudden you get a view of the future and it's like, oh. And this is now given new terms and is reconstructed and its meaning is actually changed. The sacred future is all about that moment when who you are and what, you, what you've become to this point and whatever God is revealing to you about the future and what you anticipate comes together in a moment. And these, these moments, I think, you know, time is an interesting thing. We measure by, you know, minutes and uh, seconds and minutes and hours and days and that kind of thing. And it's like this linear deal. It's a train it, and it's, it's a one-way track. It only goes that way unless, of course, you're Michael J. Fox and it goes back to the future. Yes. <laughs> so time only works this way. But these moments, they exist in time, right, with real people and in a minute and, and seconds and minutes and hours and that kind of thing. And yet they actually kind of some, in some bizarre way exist outside of time. Or maybe you could say it this way. The only way these things can be measured is by before and after. Right? Think about an event in your life or a moment. And when you look back on it, it the way you see life is before that thing and after that thing. And that's the only way you can understand it. It's almost as if it existed episodically. Not by seconds and minutes and you could time it and frame it, but that thing, that moment before and after. And these moments, these, these moments are pregnant with possibility, right? They, they, they hold within them the, the possibility of your life being very radically different depending on whatever you choose or whichever direction you go. They hold within them this possibility of changing the trajectory of our lives. So the sacred future as I want to talk about it this morning, is about these moments where our past and who, we've, who we are come together in a moment with our future and whatever God is revealing to us. So the sacred future is really about remembering and seeing. It's about remembering and seeing. Let me see if I can walk through. You, you're all kind of looking at me like, dude, have you gone it? Have you lost it? Have you gone off the deep end? I don't think I have. I think I'm onto something here. So let me go back to the scriptures, and I want to try and show you. Because I think that the, the, scripture, the writers in scripture, mostly the Old Testament, they actually are very interested in this idea, and they walk us right up to these threshold moments where characters and people in the stories have these sacred future moments where it's like all that they are in the past have comes together with whatever God is doing in the future, and it's this moment where they intersect. And I want to show you a couple of them. So turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30, if you will. 
back a little bit to the left. And some, I don't think any of this is going to be on the screen behind me, so you're going to have to do some work. Deuteronomy chapter 30, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, last book of the Torah. And here, before we get there, before we get to Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 to 20, you have to know something very important about the story. Because if you don't know where we are in the story at this point, I could read this text and you'd be like, well, that's really interesting, Micah. And we would miss it because it's brilliant and it's huge. It's so big what's going on in this moment. So let me help fill in, fill in the blanks for you. If you don't know where we are in the story, Yahweh, the God of Israel, has just offered to Israel the blessings and curses of Deuteronomy chapters 28 and 29. And in which God lays out for them this is what life looks like, and this is what death looks like. And he goes through this whole deal, and he says, life looks like this. Do these things, act this way, love your neighbor, blah, 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 blah. And death looks this way. Don't do this, don't do that. And he lays it before them. They have just wandered in the desert for 40 years, roughly, and uh, an entire generation of people have died. Why? Does anyone remember why these people have died in the desert? little Old Testament history here. They failed to go into the promised land when God told them to, right? They, they didn't obey. They didn't, they didn't trust. They didn't walk into it. And, and God says, listen, this whole generation is going to die before you can enter the promised land. So that's right where we are. We are on, <laughs> we are on the brink. I mean, listen, to, listen, gang. If you're Israel, if you're a Jew, you have just come out of Egypt where you were slaves for hundreds of years. And now you've seen, you've seen all of the plagues of, of the Exodus. You've seen the God part the Red Sea for crying out loud. You've seen all these crazy things. Moses, the, the Sinai, the, the whole deal. And you are about to enter the promised land. The thing that which God has called you out of Egypt for. To be a blessing in the world. To be the, the new humanity in the world that shows the world and invites the world what it means to live with God. This is big. I mean, this is massive. Are you there? Are you there yet? I'm there. I don't know about you guys. I am totally there. So they're about to do this, and this is what Yahweh says in chapter 30, verse 11. Now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up to heaven, or it's not up in heaven, so that you have to ask. Who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you will have to ask. Who will go across the sea to to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word, what I'm asking of you, is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today, love the Lord your God, walk in his ways, keep his commands, increase in the Lord your God, will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your hearts turn away and you are not obedient, if you are drawn to, to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day I will, that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, choose, and this is, hear the heart of a father here. Hear the heart of a parent here saying, listen, I want this for you because I love you. Not because it's burdensome, not because it's something beyond you, but because it's life. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land. This is a sacred future moment, not only for Moses, but for Israel. They stand on the brink of what God has promised them, and he offers 
an invitation of the future. All that they have been, all that they've gone through, everything that's happened up to that moment, and they stand there, right there, in that moment. And God says, this is what, this is what the future looks like. This is what I have called you to be. This is, this is the, the heart of a sacred future moment. Now, Moses gets it. Look at what he's, if you go on and you read in verse, in chapters 31, what Moses does is, it's awesome. It's, it's amazing. He gathers all of the people of Israel because he knows he's going to die. God has told him that's the, he takes him up on the mountain and he shows him the promised land. And he says to Moses, you, you will not enter the land. I will, you can see it, but you will not enter the land because you were a part of the generation that disobeyed. And so Moses knows what's about to happen. He recognizes the, the momentous occasion that is this. And so he gathers all of Israel together and he gathers Joshua and he blesses Joshua and he says, this is Joshua. He's going to lead you. Bless him, follow him, listen to him. Why? Because Moses knows what time it is. Moses sees that this is a moment. This is one of those moments. And it is a wise person who knows what time it is in the scriptures. I think one of, this, one of the questions that the scriptures continually asks is, do you know what time it is? Not literally, like, is it 1230? Can I go watch the Vikings? Do they even play today? Yeah, see. Did Alabama beat LSU? They did. Oh, man. I got, I got a DVR. And I shouldn't have asked you guys, but I had to know. The LSU looked terrible. But do you know what time it is? Sorry, I digress really badly. One of the questions that the scriptures is asking is, do you know what time it is? And Moses knows. Turn back to Exodus chapter 3, if you would, please. Exodus chapter 3. How does Moses know? How does he recognize? Why does he gather all of Israel together and say, listen, guys, listen. This is Joshua. He's a good man, and he knows where he's going. God has anointed him. Follow him. Because if you do, life is before your very eyes. It is in your grasp. It's in your heart. It's not too far off. Why does he know? I would submit to you that Moses knows this is a sacred future moment because he's been here before. He's been here before and he knows it. I think that one of the things that the Old Testament writers, especially as it relates to Moses and some of these other characters, want us to know is how to cultivate or, or at least show us people who cultivate hearts and eyes to see God at work in our, in our, very, in our daily lives because we miss it sometimes. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to, 1 to about 5 or 6 say this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from within a burning bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire and it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses says, here I am. A couple of, couple of notes on the text as you, as you look at that. Number one, the word for wilderness that's translated is actually a word that's it's midbar in the Hebrew, and the root of that word means to speak. So the wilderness is the place that God speaks. Now, that, if you get nothing today, that one's worth taking home. The wilderness is the place that God speaks. In the wilderness, you know where, you, where you've come from, but you have no idea where you're going. This is where God speaks. That's what the word actually means. The, the word Horeb for uh, the mountain of God 
The word Horeb is translated destruction, interestingly enough. Something in Moses is about to be destroyed, but isn't this the way God works? The things that are not of God are destroyed, and that which is of God are called out and brought to life. Something is about to happen here for Moses. Verse 2, it's an angel, right? There's, there's a bush and Moses, and an angel of the Lord says something, and not until Moses does what does God speak. Look at the text. When does God decide to make himself known? Yes, he stops. He notices. He turns his ear. And God speaks. And then there's this piece where it says, don't come any closer. How many of you have heard anything talked about where it's like, don't come any closer? Moses, you're on holy ground. God is holy. He's other. You're sinful. Don't come any closer. That's as far as you can get. I think that's a pretty lame translation, a pretty lame understanding. And, it, and, and until I was, you know, saw something different in the text, that's kind of what I thought. But listen, what's going on here? This is a, this is a sacred future moment. This is huge. I don't think God's saying, Moses, you're sinful. Don't come any closer because I'm holy and I don't want you any farther. Not a, further, not a step further, not a step not a, right there. Maybe it's that Moses is there. Maybe it's that Moses is right where he needs to be. Where this is coming in view and this is about to happen here. And God says, don't move. Not another step because you're there. Do you know when you're there? Do you have eyes to see it? For me, this was, uh, I can think of two moments in the last couple of years. One was uh, fall of 2009. I went on a retreat. I was at a cabin by myself in the woods. And uh, I sat on the shore of Lake Mille Lacs, and it was totally glass, like not a ripple. And everything that I had experienced at previous churches and with previous bosses and things that were said to me and questions that had entered my mind, all of these things came into very clear view. And I looked out over this lake, and it's like I heard God say so clearly, if you want to do this, do it, and I will go with you. That was a moment. That was a sacred future moment for me where this came in view And this came together in a moment. And friends, here's the thing with these kind of moments. This is an experience with the living God. This is an experience with an eternal being. And though we live in this space-time continuum, seconds, minutes, days, hours, the whole deal, when we have these kinds of moments, we are actually experiencing and, and relating to an eternal being. And some might say we're experiencing eternity in the now. That's why these moments are so weighty. That's why these moments are so big. So here's the thing. Moses knows it. That's why he says that to the Israelites. That's why he acts the way he acts. And I would submit to you that Esther chapter 4 is a moment just like this. Esther from verses 1 to 11, responds in a very different way. You could maybe say that uh, a bit self-centered, yeah. Um, And then in verse 15, something changes. And I think that this is a moment, just like Exodus chapter 3, just like Exodus 24 on Mount Sinai, uh, Genesis 37 to 42 is the Joseph story. They're all over. 
But I want to submit to you this morning that this is one of those kinds of moments. And the question, I think, for us as we read this and as we work with this story is, do we know it? Do we see it? Do we have eyes to see God? And here's, here's, here's what it comes down to for me. Do we have eyes to see God at work in the daily, in the mundane, in the ordinary? The burning bush was not, it wasn't uncommon. This is, this is amazing. When I learned this, I'm like, oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me. There is the, the actual bush that started on fire in this story is a bush that grows in the desert and it secretes this, this oil that's highly flammable. So if you're out in the Sinai desert and it's like a billion degrees, what might happen to something that's highly flammable? They spontaneously combust all the time. So what Moses sees when he sees the bush is not abnormal. It's just everyday stuff. There's something in that moment. And the question is, do you know what time it is? Do you have eyes to see it? Have you, are you cultivating a heart and a life and a, and a view of God that believes that God is in those moments and believes that God wants to say something to you and believes that God wants to offer you life? The story of the scripture says that this is exactly what God does. And this is exactly what God is continuing to do. Sacred future, can you see it? Second question is, what does Esther see that she didn't see before? What does Esther see that she didn't see before? Now, if I haven't already jumped into the pool of total speculation previously, I'm about to now, okay? And I'm okay with this. I'm fine with this because there is a tradition, not only uh, a, a Jewish tradition called Targum interpretation, and it's really this idea of filling in the, the blanks in the text. It's telling the stories in between the stories. Now, there's an art to this, and there's a, a discipline to it. Um, so I'm totally okay with what's about to happen, and this is, this is speculative because who can really know what did Esther see, right? It's like 2,500 at the very least, 2,500 years ago. We don't have any eyewitnesses account of Esther. I can't ask Esther. How can you ask? What did Esther see, Micah? Well, I'm about to, so here we go. Esther, I think there's something that happens in, in verses 12 to 14, and I think she sees something that she didn't see before. And I would submit to you that she sees her true self. Now, this is, again, this is a little esoteric. Stick with me, though. I think this is going to pay off. Arguably, in the first part of the chapter, what Esther sees or, or Esther's view of herself is very self-centered, for, for lack of a better word, and I really mean that, okay? It's a bit self-centered, meaning she views herself as the center and everything else in relation to her, okay? This is, by the way, one of the dangers of the American dream, because <laughs> this is exactly what it says. Like, you're the center, and everything else is in relation to you. So her fear, uh, her, her well-being, um, everything, everything is, is in relation to her, and she stands at the center. Now, this is what Richard Rohr and others, and I'm going to quote Richard Rohr here in a second, but this is what he and, and many others call the false self. And it's this idea. Uh, this cannot work, and it never produces the life that God intends for us. So here's a quote, and I want to I work through it here. Rohr says this, We need to talk about the true self. And here's what he defines it as. Who you are in God from eternity. And he would say, this is the only self that has ever existed. It's the only self that exists right now. The trouble is that most people don't know it or even know that it exists or know about it. The work of Christianity is to get you and me access to the true self. Paul says, the true self that is hidden with Christ in God in Colossians 3. 
He goes on to say, I think some kind of experience of God is necessary for mental and emotional health. Basically, you belong in the universe, or you don't belong in the universe until you're connected to its center. And he would say, the center is God. When you live in the false self, you're eccentric, you're off-center. So when you live from this place, you're not living from the, the position and the place that you were intended to live from. He says, you try to make something, yourself, the center. That is not the center, and it will never work in the long run because it's not true. And this last part, it really kind of brings it together. He says, I would call the false self a relative identity, and I would call a true, your true self your absolute identity. Relative identity isn't bad. Your, your false self isn't bad. It's just simply not true. It's not the true self. And he says, if you don't have some experience with your true self in God, you have no way to relativize and limit your false self. And here's where the rubber meets the road. It poses as the real thing and it tries to get away with it. But it cannot. It is not true. An edge can never pretend to be the center. Friends, it would be way too easy for us to say that Esther, she's being selfish. Selfishness is not at the fruit of the Spirit. She's sinning. It would be way too easy to say that. I mean, we could. We could say that about Esther. You know, Esther's, her view of herself is self-centered, and that's not of the Spirit, and so she's, she's acting sinful. She shouldn't do that. But I think there's way more going on here. And I want to submit that this idea of Esther sees her true self, and by that I mean when she hears Mordecai, and Mordecai says, listen, if you don't do something, God will, we will, our people will receive uh, deliverance from somewhere else. And, and you are going to die with your family. One could say that that's a threat, that Mordecai says, listen, if, if, if you don't do this, uh, somebody else will, and you're going to die. But, but think of it from Esther's perspective. What does she hear from Mordecai? She hears an unwavering faith in the covenant God of Israel, number one. And number two, she hears an invitation into something. She hears an invitation into something that she didn't see before. Right? This is one of those moments. She hears an invitation to participate with God in what God is up to, what God is doing. And, I, and for me, this is one of the most dominant stories in the scriptures, and it's one of invitation. Invitation to be stewards and co-creators with God. Invitation to be a part of a people that God would use in the world. Invitation to partner with God in what God is doing. This is the God of the scriptures. Now, the New Testament writers get this thread that goes through the Old Testament, and they redefine it. They spin it, and they call it something. They call it the evangelion, which in Greek means good news. The good news is that God is continuing to invite you and I into relationship with him, into partnership with him, to do something and, and be something in the world, not on our own, through his spirit empowering us. This, my friends, is, I think, what Esther sees. She sees her true self, and she sees an invitation from Mordecai to partner with God. And what does she say? If I perish... I perish. In the scriptures, there are moments. Moses, at the burning bush, says, here I am. Samuel, after a dream, says, here I am. David, uh, or excuse me, Joseph. Jacob, 
Icarumba. Jacob says, here I am, and then his name gets changed to Israel. The word is Hineni. And it's like, here I am. All of me. Not just the parts you want, not just the parts I want you to see, not just the parts that I'm, I'm okay with, but here I am. Hineni. Friends, when we have eyes to see sacred future moments where God is inviting us into something, when God is inviting us into life with him, when we have eyes to see it, everything changes. And it requires a response of nothing less than, Hineni, here I am. If I perish, I perish. If, I go if this ship goes down, I go down with it. Let me, let me try to land this thing if I can. A couple of questions as we close. One would be, do you know what time it is? Do you have eyes to see? Are you cultivating the kind of heart and, eye and life that notices, that sees, that, that recognizes that God wants to say something in the, in the, in the midst of the ordinary? How do you see yourself? This is, again, and, and this is a whole other sermon, but how we see ourselves, if, if we don't understand our place in God, our existence, our identity in God, we live from a, a false sense of who we are. I, can't, I don't know how to say it any more plainly. And what our souls long for is to be who God made us to be, to be in relationship with the one who made us. Last, do you have the guts to say Hineni? Do you have what it takes? Uh, that's a terrible metaphor. Do you have the courage to say Hineni? To say, here I am. All of me? Everything? I shared last week that I have this sense and I don't get these premonitions very often, but I have this sense that God wants something more of Awaken. And I just felt like this morning that I needed to tell you, as your pastor, that for me, this thing called Awaken, I have said and I continue to say with fear and trembling, Hineni, God all of me. I believe in what God is doing here to the degree that I will go down on this ship if it goes down. I will burn in a ball of flames, uh, whatever metaphor you want to use. And I've been praying and hoping that I'm not the only one. I know that I'm not. But I want to just extend an invitation to you. Maybe, maybe this is coming from a totally different angle for you. Maybe this is doing something completely different. And maybe it has you some, maybe God has some, maybe God has you there and it's not where I am, we're not here. That's fine. But I want to extend an invitation to you to be a part of this community, to be a part of what God's doing, to see yourself in relation to what God has invited us into. 
as a part of a part of his a part of what God is doing in the world. And for me, all of my cards are on the table. I am all in on this deal. And so if you needed to hear that from your pastor, I wanted to say that, and maybe even just for me. So thanks for being here to let me do that for me, if that's what it is. So I pray and trust that the Spirit is doing something uh, else in this room, and uh, that's a good thing. I'm going to invite Ben to come up, and uh, we're going to just spend some time in worship in response. Uh, we kind of saved a bunch of music to the last here. I want to encourage you to respond in whatever way that looks like for you. If it's to write, if it's to, well, the prayer space has got a leftovers from the haunted house, so I apologize about that. But takes move around. If you can not find a dead body or a hanging ghost, uh, pray. <laughs> and uh, let's spend some time in worship together as we close. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.